hey, guys, let's quiet down. No cell phones, no talking, no texting. You don't think it makes a sound? It does. I hear it. Click, 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 click. We all feel better. We all feel better in the dark. In conclusion, if you find yourself falling asleep, having a dream child in the middle of a nightmare, while you're trying to wake up when you're being chased by a guy with razors on his fingers, and you don't know it's a new nightmare, and then you got Jason, he's got an axe, got Kelly rolling, she's not saying, nightmare baby, nightmare baby, nightmare baby. Nightmare, baby. H-Y. Once upon a time on a Super Bowl night, two guys from BK brought the points to life. Gave you some previews and some laughs. Was it no big thing? No one thought it would last. Then one started growling at the mention of a chick. The other guy would lose it every time he got pissed. Next thing you know, they got a good fan base. So they said, what the hell, let's continue the pace. No stone uncovered, they will take on a topic. Might bring on a guest, and together they rock it. Cause they're in like Flint, too much is a cool. If you don't know the beautiful one, they'll take you to school. I'm talking about Tom, DJ, and Derek Ferguson. The best podcast out, hands down, it's set. So in the tub, in the car, if you're chilling in the park. Welcome to another show of Better in the Dark. Hey kids, how would you like to hear this on the street? Instead of the great show you came to see. That's what you found. Honestly. Please cooperate and do your part in keeping this theater quiet. So everyone, including you, can enjoy. Me and John go to movies on the weekends all the time and hang out in real life. But we don't talk during them. You guys don't have to follow Michael's rules. You guys can do whatever you want. You like talking in real life, we're just... Shut the fuck up. Two normal guys. Just shut up. Just shut. Stop the fucking talking. Say. And until we get back in touch with you. Go watch that movie. Right, Devin? Go watch that movie. 2009, we dubbed the season of Better in the Dark as the weirdest year ever. True that. 2010 shaped up to become what we dubbed the Year of Great Great Men, because we did a lot of episodes where it was just us talking about filmmakers Various and directors that and we admired. Right. This coming year is the year of paying off promises. How so? Throughout the history of Better in the Dark, there are episodes where we're talking about somebody or something or a, a movie series and they said, we're going to do an episode about this. Right. We promise. Mm-hmm. And it's never heard from again. Well, that's because I promise a whole lot. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You take what you get and you don't. See, you keep me on track because you remember yes. me. I, yeah, yeah, okay, we'll do it. And then yeah. Two weeks later, you ask me, well, I never said that. And even though <laughs> this is probably going to be aired the last episode of November or the first episode of December, this is part of this because way back in episode 49, right? Was it 49 or 48? I don't know. You remember better than yeah. I know. One of those. We did an episode that we called The State of Movie Going, right? Which was pretty popular. Popular. And then about a half a year later, we did an episode that has been very popular. For some reason, it gets a lot of downloads, even to this day, mm-hmm. which was titled Three Guys Sitting Around Talking, which was the episode where we had special guest Ken McIntyre, the Movies About Girls but That was podcast. supposed to be the Andy Sedaris episode. Yes. Oh, by the way, Ken just reached a uh, milestone. Oh, really? So, I think, was it three years? He recently had an anniversary for the Movies About Girls podcast, so... 
you go. And that's a podcast that both Tom and I hardly recommend. Mm-hmm. If you have not listened to it, please, by all means, go give it a listen. Right. You will not regret it. That was the episode where Ken kind of went overnight on us. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> kind of flipped the script, yeah. so to speak. Turned into an interview. Because of the reaction, we had originally thought that the three of us would get together once a year, every year, and do a new state of movie going. Right. However... Things have not worked out, and various things happened. We got distracted. You know, somebody dangled some bright, shiny things in front of me, and I forgot. Mm-hmm. So this is the first state of movie going ever since that first episode several years ago. But it was kind of spurred on by an article that you found on Roger Ebert's website. Yeah, it turns out I found an article a few days, folks. And what it was is about that Roger Ebert, who everybody knows, he's my guru when it comes to movie reviewing. Roger Ebert is just about the only movie reviewer who's a opinion I trust or have ever trusted. Nine times out of ten, if he likes it, I'm going to like it. But anyway, in this article, he went on to say that finally at last... Film may be dead. The conventional way of presenting movies for over 100 years has been on film. But now with the digital revolution coming on and right. more and more movie theaters are switching over to the digital format to present their films. A Kodak, they have stopped making home film last year for conventional cameras. As far as film goes, film stock for movies, they've stopped making that. Also, there was something in that article that I found fascinating, which was that many of the companies that made old-school film-based projectors have stopped doing so because the aftermarket is flooded with machines that are still good that the theaters don't need anymore because they're switched to digital primarily because the studios forced it on them. Yeah, pretty much. They forced it on them. And like I was saying to you when we were talking about doing this episode the other night, even more and more, I'm noticing the theater and yeah. the movies, they make a big deal about it and they will let you know this right. is being presented in a digital format. So once again, we're seeing a quantum leap, if you would have it, in how we see movies and right. as a consequence, how we go to the movies and the experience we have of going to the movies. Me, I don't think that film is going to entirely go away. Well, uh, vinyl never quite went away. Right. See, that was the point I was trying to make. Okay, now when the cassette tape first came out, right. going far back as that, people said, oh, well, vinyl's going to go away because now we got the cassette tape. And it's portable and we can... Right. Or the 8-track. There are people who still use 8-tracks. Right. And when the CDs came out, they said, well, the cassette's going to go away. And, and the, the cassette, the cassette, the cassette go away. did go away. To be fair... <laughs> <laughs> to be fair, <laughs> was it last year that the last manufacturer who was manufacturing audio cassette tapes ceased production? Yeah, and as a matter of fact, I got rid of all my cassette tapes. It broke my yeah. heart to do it. All the music that I own is on a digital format right. now, so what's the point of keeping it but around? But you know what? I can understand why cassette tape died. Because it was so delicate. Yeah. And it snarled so easily, and it was so ephemeral in that after about two or three years of use, the sound quality would fade and fade and yeah. fade and become almost, you'd become almost unlistenable in the space of about five to seven years. And heaven forbid if your tape got snarled yeah. in the machine, because it never sounded the same after yes. that. Whereas vinyl, yeah, you could get scratches on vinyl, but it's still, and don't put it near a radiator, but it still was vinyl. Yeah, and CD still is CD. Now they're talking about they're going to stop producing CDs now. Well, that is literally because digital downloads are becoming the preferred method of delivery of music. Yeah, things are changing. And, of course, it's affecting film, as we're saying, as far as the picture quality goes. Now, let me ask you something. When you go to the movies, do you yourself notice a change in, in the quality between digital or film? Not much, really. 
Yeah. What I do notice, and this is something I guess we're going to get into, now granted, most theaters usually only had one, maybe two projectionists, but there usually was somebody in the booth. Because it's digital, I think a lot of the theaters just put it on automatic, which leads to the fact that frequently... And this has happened a lot to me lately. Not so much at the AMC Lowy's ones that I go to, mm-hmm. but definitely at the Atlas Park, which is a theater that we've referenced many times in the past. Part of the show will be done with no picture. Right. Now, granted, I'm not going to complain about not having to see the televisual sludge that is the real first look. Right. But still, it's, it's mega annoying. Yeah, when you're just hearing the track right. and you're not seeing anything, it's just a blank screen. But I would imagine, since it is digital, yeah. it's all computerized right. now. You just go in there and press a couple of buttons and, then, and boom, and that's it. Another problem that happens sometimes is because there are two projectors. There are two tracks in each digital booth. Mm-hmm. The first one, which does all the pre-show stuff, right up to the regal first look. Right. And then they switch to the track where the actual movie is held. There have been a number of times, not so much lately, but it still happens from time to time, where the first track will end and it's not synced up with the second track. Okay. So we'll get nothing. Right. For a long, long time until somebody goes out and says to the manager, hey, where's the movie? Yeah, yeah. And you're absolutely right. I've noticed that it's, that's happened more and more often when I go to the right. movie. Somebody will have to go out and, and tell somebody, one of the ushers or something, hey, and, you know, get somebody up in the booth. There are, are good and bad points to an all-digital system. One of the good points is there's no storage involved anymore. The studio uploads the film file to its FTP, Mm -hmm. which then downloads everything to the movie theaters that have the special code. So there's literally no more do you you get those days where you have the seven reels. Yeah, those big Thursday, those those big big bulky black cases. Yeah. Yeah. You don't have to store them. You just have to sit down in front of your terminal and you just have to press a couple of buttons and boom, there it is. You've uploaded the movie. But on the other hand, I think that many movie theaters have used this as an excuse to cut out projectionists has a oh, absolutely. where what's the point of having somebody whose only job is to keep track of how the films are running when you can hire some monkey just to press or buttons better just count on one of your ushers who is a kid of the computer age and can punch a few buttons but like I said yeah. well, I rather like your idea of having like a chimpanzee yeah, there yeah, yeah. yeah train a chimpanzee to do it you know? <laughs> pay him off in bananas you know? <laughs> the idea of seeing the monkeys up there with a pair of glasses. And- but everything goes better with monkeys. Oh yeah, no doubt. <laughs> the thing that really intrigues me about the whole digital thing that we're going through now mm-hmm. is that of course with the whole explosion with the flat screen TVs right. and with Netflix and with Roku boxes right. and with Blu-ray players, with apps where you can yeah. watch Netflix and Hulu. And I have found that a lot of times I will go see movies in the theater Yeah, and then six months Eight months to a year later, I'll get the Blu-ray player and I'll mm-hmm. put it in. I'll watch it. Now, I actually get a better picture right. on my TV than I did in the movie. It's getting more attractive yeah. to me, at least, as a consumer and as a movie connoisseur. Now, while I love the movie-going experience and I never want it to go away, but in some cases, it's almost more attractive to me yeah. to wait until I see something on Blu-ray in exactly. comfort of my own house. Especially it's a reality. People like you and me who are actually there for the movie. Yeah. We talked about this in our first State of Movie Going episode. There's a definite shift in the way movie going is looked at. When we were kids and we were teenagers, you went to the movie to see the movie. Right. 
Whereas now, movie going is almost exclusively in the realm of teenagers and young adults who are just looking for something to do. Or, in the case of, of Twilight, those creepy housewives who want to lust after Robert Patterson or something. Yeah, yeah. Those bunch of hypocrites. Two more, and then we don't have to think about them anymore. The whole Twilight thing, it really doesn't bother me because I'm not the target audience for it, and you're not either. And the people that do the most bitching about it is people that I say to, well, why does it bother you? This is made for kids. It's a movie, and I think Stephen King says something about, oh, well, Twilight isn't about vampires. It's about how important it is to have a boyfriend. Right. Why do you get all hepped up? I'm going to be honest with you. I saw the first Twilight movie. It came on HBO. I had a free weekend of HBO. And I said, let me watch it and see what all the kerfuffle is about. I'm going to tell you the truth. It wasn't that bad of a movie, but I could see where, okay, I wasn't interested enough to keep following the story. I saw what it was, and I saw what it was for. It's made for 14, 15-year-old girls. It's not made for 40... And 50 year old women who, like you said, are creepy, and you know good and daggone well that that was me and you in a right. movie theater <laughs> lusting over girls that age, they'd be picking in the theater asking yeah. for us to be arrested. They're the feminine version of the guys who had the Mary Kate and Ashley or the Emma exactly. Watson countdown clock. Exactly. Same amount of creepiness, although, of course, I'm sure none of them would ever go on television and say something like, oh, yeah, I should have shot with those little boys. <laughs> yeah, me and Tom were talking about the stuff before we started this. Yeah. I'm sure you guys have been following yeah. the news and the whole Penn State thing, which the longer it goes on, the more bizarre it gets. And the sad thing is, okay, Joe Paterno's entire career, this is one of the greatest college coaches in the history of the game. Mm-hmm. This is a man who's a real genius. And now his entire career is going to be smudged by this guy and what happened and the fact that he was fired. Right. Granted, I think that Paterno should have handled it a little differently. Well, you think? Well, no, okay, no. I understand why the investigation is still being done. Yeah, yeah. From what I understand, when he learned about this, he went to the governing board of the college and said, this guy is doing this stuff. Right. You should take care of this. Right. And people wonder why he didn't go to the police. He's from that generation that believed you go to your superiors and let them work. And let them see. And I'm glad you brought that up because I always have to point this out to people. When they say, well, he should have did this and he should have did that. Well, we're talking about 30 years ago. And me and you was there. So we know. 30 years ago, it's kind of like the classic TV show, Life on Mars. Right. With the guy from the 21st century, he thinks he's going back in time to the 1980s. And what happens is that since it's such a completely different time, it's almost like he's on the planet Mars. Folks, that's for real. 30 years ago, it was a completely different world. And on top of that, you're dealing with a man whose value set was built 30 years before that. Exactly. So you got to put things in its historical context of when it happened. Back then, the thing was, you take it to your superiors, like right. you said, and Which let them make the did. decision. Yeah. But because of all this, and the fact is also he now has cancer. You heard this. This came out yesterday. He was diagnosed with lung cancer. Quite yeah. frankly, and if he does have the disease, I apologize and I hope that he recovers. I seriously doubt the veracity of that. Okay. It, I think that's something that the family just came up with so that he'll be shielded yeah. From the press. This one monster, don't get me wrong, of all like the evil people in the world, one of the lowest forms of life in my mind are people who take advantage of little of kids. Oh, that's the lowest. Because of this monster, he's destroyed Joe Paterno's legacy. Yeah. He has destroyed that college, which that- had this wonderful reputation. I guarantee you, admissions are going to go down. And they're not going to be able to recruit anymore, because the only reason they were able to get good player in 
at Penn State was because you're going to be coached by Joe Paterno. Joe, Joe Paterno, yeah. What I find interesting is you heard this thing about the basketball coach. They just leveled similar charges against him. Oh, wow. I have to admit, he's saying this isn't true. <laughs> but I got to think that it, having it happen so closely after this came out, and this is documented, This we know yeah. that this sleaze bag did do these things to these kids. Right. I'm wondering if this was a case of somebody who decided, oh, now I can use this hysteria to get back at this guy for some reason. Yeah, you're right. Yeah, and I'm wondering if there's going to be a lot of these charges against various coaches in the coming months. Like you said, a lot of people wanted to get back yeah. at them, and then they just threw out bogus things. It's a horrible situation. I'm following it closely to yeah. see how it's going to play out. That was a social commentary yeah. part of the episode, folks. Right. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But getting back to what right. we're supposed to be talking about, right. the state of movie going. The whole digital thing, and there are so many platforms now where you can watch movies. You can watch it on your tablet. Mm -hmm. You can watch it on your iPhone. Although, why would anybody want to watch a movie yeah. on a screen the size of a postage stamp is beyond Actually, me. watching a big Hollywood blockbuster is not a very good idea. But one of like, let's say, one of those smaller Steven Soderbergh projects. Okay. For watching on a smaller screen works for a smaller film, where it's more dialogue-driven and relationship-driven as opposed to spectacle-driven. Now, that brings me to a question. Do you think that we're going to start seeing people actually make movies that are specifically designed to be watched on your tablet or your iPhone? People make small, intimate movies. Maybe with just two or three people just talking, even just dialogue. It wouldn't like surprise that. me because... Something I, like My Dinner with Andre. Right. Something exactly. like that. That, I think, would be like the ideal film to watch on a little three-inch screen. Because... What we're seeing now a lot, I've talked about the Hollywood Saloon many times. Right. And they did an episode recently, which is available through their forums, called The Dark Side of the Tune. It's supposed to be about Transformers 3, but it ends up being an hour and a half rant. <laughs> Andy Sims, of that duo, just loses it mm -hmm. about halfway through the show, and he's declaring the end of films as an art form. Mm -hmm. And I can sort of see his point in that because movie making is now ruled so much by the people who look at it as more of a social thing, who don't really care what's on the screen as long as it's kind of bright and colorful. The smaller films are getting pushed further and further and further away from the multiplexes, from the places where they're accessible to everybody. And in more and more into these smaller things where you've got to actually actively seek them out, which leads me to believe that a lot of these smaller movies might end up being direct-to-video, if you will, direct-to-download. You're right. And right. we're seeing a lot of these smaller movies being available digitally the same day they're released in theaters. Yeah. You remember, it, it, it was an experiment. As a matter of fact, I believe that it was... It was a Soderbergh. A Soderbergh movie. Right, Bubble. Where it was out in the theater... Mm -hmm. The DVD was available, and right. you could pay-per-view all right. on the same day. This is not being done just for little weird things. There was that Nicolas Cage, Nicole Kidman film, Trespass, that came out in limited release in theaters, mm -hmm. but was available through Redbox that day. Right. So if you wanted to go to Redbox and pluck down your dollar a day for a crappy uh, Nick Cage movie... Yeah, well... 
<laughs> That's another episode. Going back to what you just said a few minutes ago about these small independent movies. See, me, that's why, and I had an argument with a few people. Remember a few months back when Netflix had split off and they right. were just going to do, okay, well, this is going to be one thing and we're going to do the other thing, DVDs. Right. They said, oh, well, what do you think about that? I said, well, it doesn't bother me. I pay for streaming, which is how I right. watch all my Netflix movies now. I don't watch it. Well, what about the new releases? Well, I don't care about the new releases, right, exactly. to be honest. Either I'm going to go to the movies and see them. If, or, I, if I haven't gone to the theater, to see a new release, I'm not going to be all a jittery dancing a jig to see it the first day it comes out on DVD. Right. I can wait a month. I can wait. I don't even buy it the day it comes out. I can wait another three to six months until it's there you dropped. Go. That's another thing, which is that DVD prices have dropped oh. so much. I have found myself no longer buying things day of release and just waiting six months to a year to when they show up in the $5 bin Hawaii or Kmart. Kmart or Walmart or Target. Right. You can go to any one of these stores and guarantee you go to the electronic department, they've got a humongous $5 bin right. that you can literally dive in and yeah. swim around it and find what you want. And if you're patient and if you dig in there, guaranteed you're going to find what right. you want in there. You and I were talking about how at Kmart they have these instant movie collections and they're now down to $7.50, $5 in some cases. Mm-hmm. So I was able to get Stir of Echoes and three other movies for $7.50. And I would have paid $7.50 just for Stir of Echoes. Mm-hmm. I would have paid $7.50 just for uh, the William Freakin' film Bug, but I got three other movies. That's the thing I was arguing with these people about what they were saying. Well, if I can't get the new releases, I don't want Netflix. But wait a minute. They got 40,000 other movies right. on there you haven't seen. And all you have to do is wait for Blockbuster to die, and they're going to have new releases day of anyway. Why don't you go in there and look at yeah. it and see? Because that's what I do. Yeah. I go like these independent movies that you were talking about that I may have missed in the theater. I go on Netflix and I watch right. them. There's a ton of stuff on there to watch if you don't have it in this mindset. But then again, like we were saying on the other state of right. movie going episode, unlike me and you, there are people who just go see new releases and right. that's it. They're not interested in going back 10 years and seeing yeah. like Third Echoes. There's some people that are just not going to be interested in seeing it just because of its age. All they care about what's in the theater this week. Right. Well, what's playing this week? Well, let me go see that. And then that's it. And they'll never watch it again, which is all right. Don't get me wrong. That's cool. Some people aren't into movies that way. Then it's more of a social thing. Right. Or they just want to go and turn off their brain. Right. Infamous things I don't want to think for... Right, exactly. It's a social thing. Well, it's a Friday night. What are we going to do? Well, let's go to movies. We've been talking about DVD. There's also been rumblings about they wanting to get rid of DVD now. See, I don't think that's ever going to happen. I don't think that's going to happen either. Unless, of course, and again, we're talking about price, which is what it really all comes down to, Tom. Mm-hmm. Price, availability. We saw flat screen TVs that when they first came out, you almost had to practically mortgage your house to buy one. Mm-hmm. Now you can go into any Best Buy with two, $300 in your pocket and come out with a... Remember when Walkmans were $150? Yeah, I... <laughs> <laughs> I remember when Walkman came. Believe it or not, I bought one for ninety nine dollars. Yeah, and then what happened? Before they died, you could practically go in there and they would practically give yes, you one. Right. But, but humongous flat screen TVs right. did cheaper, and they're getting cheaper. DVDs, like we said, with five dollars. Mm-hmm. Blu-rays when they first came out, they were thirty, forty bucks. Mm-hmm. Now they're what fifteen dollars, I think. Some I see are fifty. Some of them even cheaper than that. And now they have the double sided one where yeah. you get two movies now for. Yeah. 
And I said, okay, I can see where this is going. The only reason I'm realizing we're going to have to switch to Blu-ray sooner rather than later is because now the movie series are going into this thing where it's going to give you like one or two featurettes on your DVD. But if you get the Blu-ray, you're going to get the commentaries and stuff. Oh, yeah. Now, granted, to be fair, a lot of time the commentaries follow the script, which is the director, maybe one or two actors, and they go like, oh, this is funny. This was great. Three of them sucking each other off. Oh, gotcha. Mm-hmm. Congratulating themselves on what a wonderful film they did. But what I don't understand is you have these DVDs that they package with a digital copy, a DVD, and a Blu-ray. Yeah. Well, if I'm going to have the Blu-ray, why the hell would I want the DVD? I have no idea. I don't want the DVD. I want the Blu-ray. Well, I can understand why they do the DVD and the digital copy. Because that was their attempt to avoid piracy. Right, okay. Okay, you want a digital copy here. We're going to give it to you free. <laughs> you can buy the DVD. <laughs> you like stuff for free, don't you? Yeah, so... If I'm going to buy the Blu-ray, I'm never going to look at yeah, the DVD. Exactly. It makes no sense to me. Okay, I can see if I buy the DVD, I upgrade and I get the Blu-ray. Right. See, that's but what if I'm wondering if that's what that's for right now, is the people who have a DVD player like myself, and they're trying to entice them to do oh, yeah, upgrade. Right, and they're saying, well, you'll already have a Blu-ray Right, you exactly. Because eventually you're going to get one. Me, I waited, and the one that I have, it was $99 last year when I bought it, and now it's $89. So the price is going, because I remember when Blu-ray players were a couple of hundred dollars. Matter of fact, I saw one in Target the other day, it was like $79. Mm-hmm. Same so thing I mean, with DVRs. Yeah. I don't think DVD is ever going to go away, because much like there are still people out there who still use VHS. Yeah, you're one of them. Right? There are people... I think are going to be resistant to Blu-ray to the very bitter end. And they're still going to need product. Now, I think that some of the people on our Facebook page, which you can access by going to Facebook and typing in Better in the Dark, gratuitous plug, speculated, I think they might be right, is that it might become a print-on-demand business where you go onto a website like one of our sponsors is the Weather Brothers Online Store. Yeah, Weather Brothers Online, yeah. And if you go to the Weather Brothers Online Store and you go into the archive section, they have a slew of movies. Oh, they got hundreds, thousands even. You can go in there and yeah, you say, okay, well, I want this movie and they print up, bam, that one good thing and ship it out to you. It's not like a whole warehouse where they've got them stored up at. They just print them out as needed. Which to me, strictly from a business standpoint, that's genius. Right, exactly. And I think also with stuff like Hulu Plus, which we've talked about in the past. That's going to become the standard digital delivery and burn on demand is also going to be the thing that happens with TV shows. One thing that I'm really going to be interested in seeing how that plays out in recent months, because again, I think this is going to be another game changer. Even though I wasn't a fan of the show, I realized a whole bunch of people were arrested development. Netflix has made a deal. They're going to be making new episodes. To be shown exclusively on Netflix. Now I said, whoa, this is going to be a game changer because now, say a show that was canceled untimely, say like Firefly or one of my favorite shows of recent years that died after three episodes, Drive. Are we going to be seeing a thing with these canceled shows where Netflix is going to get into the business the same way? Or might shows that otherwise would be canceled end up getting renewed life because the network will go into a co-production deal with a Netflix or with a Hulu. Right, yeah. We've talked a couple of times about Chuck. Its last season is playing out right now. Right. And the only thing that kept that thing alive 
survived as long as it lasted mm-hmm. was the fact that NBC was able to find co-sponsors, advertisers who were willing to foot part of the bill in exchange for having their products featured very, 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 very prominently. I mean, Subway was pretty much a producer of the second and third season of Chuck, and you mm. knew it because there were always people eating Subway subs and talking about how great Subway subs were. Let's go to Subway and eat some Subway subs. That reminds me of the great days of radio and early days of television where they actually integrated product placement into the plots and scripts of the thing where they would actually stop in the middle of the dialogue, whatever it is, and talk about how great a Winston cigarette was. (laughs) Man, it's great to stop having a... And then they go right back into the story. But yeah, it's all these things that's changed. And me being a fan of Netflix, I'm saying this is a smart movie on their part, especially considering their deal with stars. I don't right. know if they ever resolve that. I've heard anything further about that. If they are going to be losing that library of film from stars, mm-hmm. and they are doing this as a way to keep viewers and the type of viewers to come in, if they do that, it's going to be very interesting to see how that plays out if more and more shows are on the bubble or the verge of being canceled. Mm-hmm. So, like Chuck, for instance, they may go and make a deal with Chuck. Well, do you well, want to no, do another season? They definitely said this is the final season. Oh, okay. Well, the but, producer said that, right? Yeah, exactly. Okay. okay. Well, they're um, ending it voluntarily. Yes. Okay, well, that's a different case then. Yeah. A show that was based on a favorite film of yours. What? Friday Night Lights. Oh, Survived yeah. much longer yeah. than it really could have mm-hmm. we relied only on the networks mm-hmm. because they found another buyer. Yeah. They found another person to come in and produce it. So it was on, what was it, the cable network first? It you was on one right. It would show the episodes first during the fall, and then when the quote-unquote second season would start right. showing, NBC would show those episodes right. on uh, broadcast. Mm-hmm. And then even after that, I think it moved to DirecTV. DirecTV right. okay. bought it, mm-hmm. and they kept going on their own network. They did that for Damages as well. When Damages was canceled by FX, right. they picked it up, and they kept it going. I think it's it's on the second season that DirecTV has got it going. Right. So it's a dizzying conglomeration yeah, of, the great of, of thing, things that's going on now. There's something that a lot of people on the Facebook page and on the forums, which can be found at betterthedark.proports.com, have complained about. Which, See, we can do the product placement yeah. thing, too, as well as anybody else. <laughs> There's all this stuff. Things are changing, which will allow things to live longer. Because everybody complains about, oh, our show's got killed before it's time by Fox or by the WB. Imagine how long Veronica Mars could have lasted if it came out a couple of years later. Yeah, yeah. In comes a direct TV or another sort of network or a Netflix Mm -hmm. and keeps it going until it gets its syndication 100. Right. The magic number. And in fact, you'd have to wonder if some of the changes that were made... I started the uh, second season Mm -hmm. recently on my blog. Right. And this is where things start getting a little dicey. Second season jokes should be the strongest, but it's the one where the networks start putting their noses in where they don't You're right, yeah. And it gets really bad with the final season. Yeah. When it becomes part of the CW. I'm willing to bet that if they had this secondary producer, this secondary financer, mm-hmm. Rob Thomas wouldn't have had to have made these changes. Yeah, exactly. And done these stunts like throwing Kevin Smith and Josh Whedon in episodes. Right. To generate... He could have said, screw you, I'll take this someplace. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. But yeah, there are these things that hopefully are going to get new leases online. Aren't they even talking about bringing back Smallville, for God's sake, they're going to call it Metropolis now, which is what oh, they should have called it. No, no, no. No, seriously, I heard that, that they're thinking about bringing it back. Why? Well, probably because Tom Welly 
Halloween decided that he was being a dick and his career has gone nowhere since the show was canceled. Now, it's been less than a year. Give it more time, Welling. Now he's talking about that. Maybe I will put the tights on. <laughs> well, well, from what I understand, and, and you know, Michael Bailey will back me up on this, it wasn't Tom's fault. It was the, the producers, Go and Miller, who thought the idea of uh, him in the tights was kind of ridiculous. And insisted on never having Superman be Superman. Well, now let me get this straight. You want to do a Superman show without Superman. <laughs> he's not going to wear the costume, and he's not going to fly. What? Yeah, that's it. <laughs> what are you doing here, movie executive Kermit? <laughs> that- that's the show. Smallville people, we'd like you to meet our friends here, the Walking Dead people. Yeah, come in, Walking Dead. <laughs> How about a TV series where Superman fights zombies, where he never puts on the tights and we don't see the zombies? Let's do an episode of Better in the Dark where me and you don't do it. <laughs> it be like an hour of silence. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> That's the show. Oh, man. You have to really wonder what school of thought these movies... And TV executives, where they come from, where they get these brilliant ideas. And again, I understand what it is. It's the cost. They wait till the show gets to be a big hit, and then they want to start cutting the, okay, well, now we're a big hit. We've got everything. Instead of doing the smart thing and saying, let's put more money in and do more of what we're doing, mm-hmm. they want to cut down what they've been doing. It makes absolutely no sense to me. To be fair, this is something that apparently is endemic at AMC. I still contend I think AMC got so big for its britches because of Mad Men that now they think they've got the genius. Well, actually, this new show they got on, The mm-hmm. Western, Hell on Wheels, is good. I like it. The first episode, I wasn't too sure, mm-hmm. but the second one, yeah, I like Hell on Wheels. Walking Dead, you know where they're at now? They're at the point now you can see mm-hmm. that these episodes they have is nothing but filler. Right. Because it's just people standing around talking, yeah. and there's really nothing happening. It's like a lot of that season of Lost, and you well, we Lost hope. fans know what I'm talking about. It was that season where nothing yeah. happened, really. Well, guys, we hope you like that style of TV show making, because not only are we getting 20 episodes for this season, mm-hmm. it's already been picked up for a third season. What's that, Walking Dead? Yeah. Oh, okay. So you're going to get... 40, count them, 40 episodes of the sounds of zombies outside the door. Of no zombies. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I want to do? I want to do Dracula, only we're never going to see Dracula. We're never going to see Dracula. Which, actually, that might work. Okay. A Dracula movie where you never see, you just see the effects of what he does. Mm-hmm. I can see that working. Except, hey, how, about, how about Frankenstein? Except you couldn't call it Dracula then, could okay. you? Okay. <laughs> you know what they ended up having to call it? <laughs> what? Van Helsing. Victor, the unseen vampire. <laughs> Coming soon to a theater near you. <laughs> oh, God. We got far afield again. Well, oh, yeah, well we always but we're having fun. We so. always do. It wouldn't be a better than a dark episode if we didn't go far afield. I don't even remember where, how we got from here to there. So, we, well, we were talking about Netflix and how Netflix... Right. And also, it might bring up the idea that Netflix might go up to some of these directors like Adam Egoyan. Some of these people who don't do the kind of crowd-pleasing movies that are now the norm. Who don't do product. And the thing about Adam McGoyan, he's not one of these people like Steve Soderbergh who does a one for me, one for you. Okay, I'm going to do this really weird relationship drama set in the backdrop of an apocalyptic disease, Mm -hmm. but just to make sure you don't get too bent out of shape, I'll make this crazy-ass action movie with Gina Carano. Right. Have you seen that trailer yet? No, I haven't. Oh, it's it's nuts. Yeah. It looks like, remember Domino? Oh, this is the one. Haywire. Haywire, yeah, I have seen it. Because it's got Michael Douglas and Antonio Banderas. And people it's got a hell of a chance. Soderbergh 
calls people up at random and says, yeah. would you like to come and work with me? You and McGregor in his Hell yeah. Yeah, yeah that's a wow. I mean, I look, well, I mean, you look at how loyal some people are to him. Mm-hmm. I mean, how many films has George Clooney made with him at this point? Oh, man, he's made, like, well, he made all the Ocean's Eleven. Yeah. Solaris, which I really like. Next to Moon, that was, like, yeah. the best Stanley Kubrick movie never made by Stanley <laughs> Kubrick. It was. It was like The Shining and yeah. Out of Space, almost. It was really good, that one. And I'm sure they made a few others that I'm leaving out. But, yeah, Soderbergh is one of those guys that, yeah, he picks up the phone, and people say, yeah, I'll do it. Can you imagine Soderbergh doing a little film for Netflix? He would do it, yeah. Yeah, I can yeah. imagine him. Because, I mean, that's the thing I like about him, is that he's one of these people that's, okay, I'll do a crazy-ass, wacky caper movie where we use a channeler to <laughs> dig under Las Vegas. You don't get much crazy. But then that. you have to finance my film where Sasha Gray plays a prostitute. Yeah, that was Girlfriend Experience. Girlfriend Experience, uh, yeah. yeah, I saw that. Not my type of flick, but I could see what he was going with. Yeah. That. Did you ever see the other one he made? It was four screens in one. Oh, oh, with, yeah. uh, well, not, I wanted to say Patsy Kensett, but that's not the person. Nah, I, but it was blonde English actor. Yeah, right? yeah, yeah. The screen was split into four, and it was four stories. They were all interconnected, of course. Right. But it was all. See, I you, like a director like that who challenges himself. It was weird. Yeah, it's not a movie I say I would want to see. Time code. Time code. There you go. It's not a movie I could say I would want to see all the yeah. time, but once in a while, yeah, I would want to see something like that. But, but see, like we were talking, there's some directors, and see, those are the directors whose movies you want to go see on the big screen, mm-hmm. like Soderbergh, and like, oh, one of our favorites, we were just talking, Tarzan Singh. Singh. Now, Immortals, I wrote a review of it, you wrote a review right. of it, and we, we saw it on the same day. We both came to the same conclusion, which I said, okay, well, I can't be wrong, because in your review, yes. which I didn't read till after I wrote mine, right. you said the same thing. The main problem with the movie is that it can't make up his mind if it wants to be 300 or Clash of the right. Titans, and as a result, it ends up being neat. Yes. It tries to be everything to everyone and ends up being nothing to nobody. Yeah. And I hesitated recommending it to people just for the visuals, but really that's the best reason to go see the movie. And see, that's a movie that deserves to be seen on right. the big screen. And Tarsum Singh is a director who should be supported because his movies look unlike anybody else. I'm glad that he's back. He had done, like, what, two movies in ten years? Yeah. The guy's only done four movies. Yeah. Are in we fact. counting the one that's coming out next year? Are we counting Mirror Mirror? Right, Mirror Mirror. Yeah, well, I'm counting that because that's a done deal. He, yes, yeah, he's he, done. Yeah, it's going to be in the theater. Right. Have you seen the trailer yet? No, I have not. I don't know what to make of it. First off, it's really primary colored. It's like the first time I've seen Tarsum use these, like, really, really vivid colors. Mm-hmm. Even the Immortals, everything is still subdued and yeah. textured and such. He's going straight on Disney with this. Basic green, royal blue. Mm-hmm. There's this one shot of Snow White running through the snow-covered forest, Mm -hmm. and the blue of her dress just screams out at you. Right. It's such a strange choice, I think, for him. Yeah, but you got to remember, too, that filmmakers, going back again to what we talked about, it comes down to money. They have to make their films now with an eye that, okay, this is not just going to be in the right. theater next year. Gonna it's going to be on Blu-ray. Oh, this is going to look this lovely gonna, on Blu-ray. Mm-hmm. This, I'm pretty yeah. sure this mm-hmm. is going to look freaking amazing on Blu-ray. So a lot of them, so you have a lot of filmmakers yeah. now 
they make their movie with that in the back of their head that okay eventually this is going to be on Blu-ray. Blu-ray and high definition has even affected I saw an interview not too long ago. Do you know that all makeup people they had to go back and kind of relearn their craft right. because of high definition yeah, and Blu-ray Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's really affected all aspects of the industry even that part. And on top of that you've got this 3D thing which is an entirely Different color palette on top uh, of it. Yeah, yeah. Where you have to compensate for the fact that the apertures of the 3D, if you're, you're shooting in 3D, mm -hmm. you have to compensate for the fact that the apertures are so much larger mm -hmm. on the 3D cameras, so they take in so much more light, so everything comes off very much brighter. Right. That's if you're filming in 3D and not being lazy oh. and just convert it afterwards. You and I have talked about this. I couldn't find a 2D showing of Immortals. I did. I absolutely refuse to go see 3D. To me, the 3D is kind of crappy, to be honest. Mm -hmm. You wasn't know, the only 3D, and right. we talked about it when we were doing our review of movies. I kind of enjoyed Green Lantern in 3D. Okay. The space scenes mm -hmm. that was at the beginning and the scenes on Oa when it got to Earth, right. that's when the 3D was crappy. But no, I wanted to see. And you know something? Immortals right. was eye-popping in 2D. I the mean, thing is, is that I didn't think it added anything. The only time that the 3D to me really worked in Immortals mm -hmm. is when you had those shots in Theseus's village. For those of you who haven't seen it, are built on these big extreme cliffs. Yeah, and you get these deep focus shots, and the village is like on different yeah. levels. And stuff. Yeah, right. That's like the only time that the 3D really worked for me. Other than that, it was just an ordinary movie. And there were a couple of times I actually had to take off my 3D glasses. Yeah. To make sure there was still 3D going on. Yeah. Last time I was in Florida, that was when the last Pirates of the Caribbean movie right. was out. And Patricia knew I wanted to see it. Yeah. That's the Patricia loved 3D. So I made the mistake of letting her buy the tickets. And of course she bought the ticket for the 3D show. Right. Do you know that 75% of that movie, I watched it with the glasses yeah. off and it was no different? My mother doesn't even bother putting them on. It was no different. For people like you, I mean, I wear contacts, you wear prescription glasses. Right. People with prescription glasses, the 3D must be a nightmare. They've made the glasses a lot more comfortable, yeah. and they've made them so that they can fit over prescription glasses. So that doesn't bother me. The comfort factor is an issue. Yeah. I just don't like the thought of having to wear another set of glasses over the glasses I already got. 75% of On Stranger Tides, I watched with the glasses off. There were certain scenes you could see that they put in 3D effect, so I put the glasses on for that. But once they were over, I took it off. It was just right. like watching a regular movie. It was no different. To bring this back, because it sounds like this is more like the state of movie making. Yeah. Which is fine. I think well, we will enjoy that. We cover a lot yeah. of ground, folks. We give you your money's worth on every episode of Better in the Dark. The reason so many movie theaters were made to go digital by the movie companies is for 3D. Yeah. They were told, you're going to have to invest in digital technology for mm -hmm. this 3D. And if you're not, you're not going to be able to get these movies. That's right. And that's why I think it's so hard sometimes, like with the Immortals. I can find, uh, I, I, there are like four different theaters that I can go to mm -hmm. within reasonable distance. The Atlas, the Village 7, mm -hmm. the Village 19th on Broadway, and the Kips Bay in Manhattan, which is a short train ride and then a, a short walk. Okay. None of them had a 2D showing of Immortals, except for one at 10 o'clock at night. Oh, shit. I'm not going to go at 10 o'clock yeah, at night. Yeah, that's so. 10 o'clock at night while you're going by yourself is no fun. Usually what I do when yeah. I go see a movie, I wait till Tuesday and catch a showing at the $6 movie theater up on mm -hmm. Linden Boulevard. But I was out in Jersey that right. day, and I just happened to be by a movie theater. Right. And it was too early to come home. And I said, you know, let me go see Immortal. And that's how I saw it. A 2D. And yeah, I mean the theater. Because I went and I said, listen, this is in 2D, right? They said, yeah, we don't have 3D here. I said, well, thank God. Thank God. Thank God. I said, yeah. I said, okay, well, I'm going to go see it then. I'm sorry. First of all, I think it's a sin 
and it's a crime. Even Jesse James had the decency to wear a mask. Right. To make people pay three dollars. Yeah, three dollars for three. That's robbery. No, they're making us wear the mask. Yeah. Good point. If I absolutely have to go to a three D, I will definitely opt for the AMC because they have that six dollar before noon policy. And then at least it's only nine dollars. It's the price of a normal movie the- uh, movie ticket. Now I'm gonna tell you the only movie that I saw in. 2D, but I wish I had seen right. it in 3D because it was so much goofy fun. In, in 2D, I can imagine right. it's only was better. Piranha. See, yeah, now I saw that in 3D, and I can <laughs> definitely say, <laughs> that was fun. Yeah, see? Now that, that, because it was obvious that Alexander the, Aja knew what he was doing. He made it for 3D. Yes. Yeah, yeah. It was intentionally shot in normal process, and then 3D was added in post, just like with the new one that's coming out. Mm-hmm. Piranha 3D. D. <laughs> But he knew what he was doing because, of course, he was trying to recapture a 3D movie from the last great 3D craze. From the 50s, right? Right. That's why I wish I had seen it in 3D because, yeah, yeah, that was the last heyday of 3D movies. Mm -hmm. So, now that one, I wish I had seen that in 3D. You better believe I'm seeing 3D. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Double D's in 3D. You know where my mind is at. I'm sorry. You know where the, the mind of the filmmaker is at when he has a five-minute long sequence of two naked chicks just doing a water ballet. But that's okay. It's that type of movie. Right. And I like that because I know that the filmmaker is being honest to the spirit of the movie he's trying right. to make. And that's what you're supposed to do when you make a movie. If you're making an exploitation monster movie, right. be exploitative. Far too many horror movies today are so concerned about hitting that PG-13 mark. Yeah, yeah. Because you make a hard R horror movie, the kids won't get it. And that's why we're not getting the Del Toro Lovecraft film. Which because he was straight ass. If you don't want me to do a hard R, I don't want to do this movie. Which may be a good thing. <laughs> By the, I can only imagine what a Del Toro R-rated Lovecraft movie would look like. Speaking of weird concepts... Taking people out in straitjackets... Have you seen the trailer for The Raven yet? No, I have not. Who's making it? No, it's done. I think it's going to be coming out in January. Okay, well, who made it? I'm not sure who the director is. But oh, okay. Check this out. John Cusack. No, oh, okay. Plays Edgar Allan Poe. Cool. Who in this world not only is a writer, but is a consultant with the Baltimore Police Department. What was Johnny Depp doing? He must have been doing something else at the time. He was doing Dark Shadows. Oh, okay. There are a series of murders mm-hmm. that start occurring in and around the Baltimore area that resemble the murders in... The Rumor? No, no, the murders in Poe's last book of short stories. And it turns out there's a master criminal Mm -hmm. who is challenging the great Edgar Allan Poe to a game where he will kill again and kill again until he gets stopped. I can't imagine who this movie is for. I really can't. First of all, it's for people who like John Cusack. Because John Cusack, I saw that crappy Stephen King movie. Oh, 1402? Right. He made it better. Yeah. If it had been with anybody else, I would have said this is crap. But John Cusack can even make crap like that. Just for that scene in 1402 where he sees his daughter again? Yeah. I didn't feel like I wasted my time going to the theaters. Yeah. And that scene where he's looking out the hotel window and he looks the way and he sees himself and trying to get... He's like, holy shit. And he can't get out of the fucking room. But John Cusack made that believable. John Cusack can make anything believable. I saw... What was that stupid movie War which I yeah. don't know if that was supposed to be a sequel to Gross Point Black because his sister was in yeah. that one too just playing his assistant John Cusack he can sell just about anything mm-hmm. let's face it I even liked him in that oh, I hated this movie Hot Tub Time Machine okay I didn't see that so. D- don't waste okay. your time 
Please don't. Yeah, but why not go see a movie with Edgar Allan Poe? You don't know who a movie is for, but then again, who really knows who a movie is for? I guess it just surprised me because it's such a, a mishmash of high concepts, and it's Edgar Allan Poe, which I don't think a lot of kids really know right now. But they know John Cusack, and I bet you I know how they pitched it. Whoever made it, they went to the studio and they sat to me and they said, okay, well, you like Sherlock Holmes? You're right. going to love this. I, actually, that makes a lot of sense. You're going to love this. Especially with Sherlock Holmes' Book of Shadows coming out. Bing, the there you go. I bet you that's how they pitched it to the studio. Those kids love the steampunk. Yeah. You like the steampunk, don't you? Yeah. Here's some steampunk, yeah. I guess. That's sort of. Oh, the guy that directed Sherlock Holmes, mm-hmm. he didn't do too bad making it what I like to refer to as the lethal weapon version yeah. well, it of was, Sherlock uh, Holmes. Because oh this one looks like it's even going to be uh, more lethal. Richie, Richie. Guy Richie. Guy Richie, yeah. yeah. And this one looks like it's even going to be more lethal. The first Guy Ritchie movie I liked. Yeah, it was. Remember, what else did he make? Lock, Stock, and Two Smoking Barrels. Well, yeah, which is... Snatched. Like, swept away with his then-wife. I saw Lock, Stock, and Two Smoking Barrels because everybody was talking about what a great movie it is. Yeah. And I saw it twice, mm-hmm. and I said, I don't get it. I throw Lock, Stock, and Two Smoking Barrels in that big garbage can that I put Killing Zoe... Yeah. And Love in a 45, and Destiny Turns on the Radio, all those people who thought they could do Tarantino, Tarantino movies. Yeah. And yeah. I'll even say it, and Natural Born Killers. Really? That movie wasn't about anything other than, I'm Oliver Stone, I have bigger balls than Quentin Tarantino. F y'all! You I really, really think that way. That? But then a lot of Oliver Stone's films boil down to, I'm Oliver Stone, I'm telling you the truth, because I know everything more than you do. Okay, so what do you think about JFK? Oh, don't get me started. JFK is the biggest bunch of bullshit I have seen Thank you. Time. But I watch it because if you listen to it, okay. according to Oliver Stone, the only three people that didn't kill JFK is me, you, and Oliver Stone. <laughs> He's got everybody else. And I sit there the last 30 minutes and I'm riveted. And how, it's the biggest bunch of bullshit, but... It's so out there. Yeah. Just for that scene with Donald Sutherland, where he's explaining how it's the military, and it's the senators, and it's people overseas, and you sit there, you say, wait a minute, everybody in the world was in the conspiracy. Right. I sit there and watch with a big grin on my face. It's just so much fun to watch. Mike and Paul at Chin Circle vs. Pumpter mm. just did an episode on JFK. Yeah. The problem I have with Oliver Stone has a director. Mm-hmm. I like movies where the director's fingerprints are on the film, mm-hmm. but I want those fingerprints to be light. That's why, and we've cited these people, some of my favorite directors are people like John Frankenheimer. You can recognize a John Frankenheimer film, but it's not overpowering. Well, he's paranoid, but paranoid in a different way. Yeah. See, Oliver Stone is very upfront with his paranoia. Yeah. He just say everybody is out to get you. And you're yeah. right. He's got that thing like, I'm the only one that knows the right. truth. I think that the problem with many Oliver Stone films is that Oliver Stone's fingerprints are so heavy mm-hmm. that they break the lens cap that you can't get away from Oliver Stone in an Oliver Stone movie. Mm-hmm. I can't enjoy the story in an Oliver Stone movie because all I'm seeing is Oliver Stone. Sit down, I'm going to tell you some things. Okay, that's fair enough. Natural Born Killers, I enjoyed it just for the sheer what-the-fuckery of it, really, because mm-hmm. it's told in that crazy mishmash of styles of well, film stocks him. and everything. Yeah, well, that's the thing, is I think that he was saying, like, oh, oh, well, you people are talking about what a great and innovative filmmaker this young buck is. I'm mm-hmm. going to show you. I'm going to take one of his old scripts that he discarded, mm-hmm. and I'm going to make it better than him. Mm-hmm. Because I'm Oliver Stone! You're going to hurt yourself if you keep doing <laughs> that. 
outside of that, like JFK, Natural Born Killers, I like. Wall Street, I like. Wall yeah, Street Wall Street, Street, I like. Born on the 4th of July yeah. is a movie, I don't know. That, it makes me uncomfortable for some kind of reason. I don't know. Enough, why. Probably my favorite film of his is one of his earliest films, which is Salvador. Salvador, yeah. I just watched that yeah, not too that long ago. Before he became. Yeah, with Jim Belushi and James Woods. Yeah. Yeah, that was good. I like that one. How did we get on Oliver Stone? <laughs> yeah, I have no idea. But we better start thinking about, we better start thinking about wrapping things up. Before we sign off, do we want to do the one piece of listener mail we got? Yes, let's do it because the gentleman who sent us that mail has commented on the Facebook page saying, have you read my mail yet? Even though he himself admits that he doesn't remember okay. what it was about. So this is from Jason Trenner, and Jason writes, I hate to be the bearer of bad news, but there is one thing you left off the Mel Brooks episode. No, we didn't. The Spaceballs cartoon. Like I said, no, no we, we didn't. didn't. Which, to be honest, some of the episodes I enjoyed, but for the most part, it wasn't even in the movie's league. And considering how little we think of the movie, that's saying something. Yeah, we didn't forget to leave it. We but left it off intentionally. Given your feelings on that, maybe it was best you didn't touch it at all. I just hope I didn't give you both nightmares. No, you didn't. And something dark in my heart wants to hear you guys do a director's court of Michael Bay. Just as long as it's a quintessen court and you feed him to the Sharkticons afterwards. Yes, it's a Transformers joke, but making overlong trash that appeals to a mass audience of teenagers, and ones I think if you put three hours of explosions, women's body parts on display, the monkeys throwing their own filth would enjoy at that, gets to me as much as certain comic book writers that will remain nameless get to Thomas DJ. Seriously, I'm a hardcore Transformers fanboy and have watched and read a lot of stuff produced about transforming robots from Cybertron. And after the first live-action movie, I refuse to watch any more of that shit. And it sounds to me that they have gotten longer and no better with each installment. And I heard that wasn't the first stinker he's done. Keep up the good work and ripping to the stuff that needs it. I would suggest to Jason, and we made reference to it earlier in this episode, he goes to the Hollywood Saloon site and listens to that Dark of the Tune, because he will get all the Michael Bay bashing he ever would want. Yeah, I'm going to be honest. I have seen the first two Transformers movies. Right. I saw the first one at my brother-in-law's house, but that was because he had plenty of booze. So I was able to lubricate myself while watching it. And Patricia took me to see the second one. I have no idea why she thought I wanted to right. see it. But she said, oh, well, I'm going to take it to the movies. Okay, fine. We went, well, why are we going to see Transformers? She said, you don't want to see it? No, I don't want to see it. I can see the appeal of these movies. Right. I'm not going to lie. They're big, they're loud, they're noisy. And that's all they are. As we were talking about earlier on, they're product. And that's something that concerns me a lot these days. We were talking about the Thing remake, which mm -hmm. I saw last month. And a lot of movies that I go to see these days, I have no opinion on. Yeah, they, They're not bad. They're not good. They're just... There, they're, they're, like a piece of sausage. And see, that was my opinion about the two Transformer mm -hmm. movies. Okay, this is why I'm not going to say that they're bad. Because I understand that people grew up loving the Transformers like I grew up loving the Phantom. Right. And I grew up loving Speed Racer. And through the grace of God, I got my Phantom movie. Right. I got my Speed Racer movie. And I'm thankful that they were made. Thank I you, Wachowski Brothers, for giving us the Speed Racer movie we deserve. I mean, thank you. I mean, I would gladly suffer through the Matrix movies as long as I got... I Speed Racer. That, yes. As long as I got Speed Racer. So I understand that other people love mm -hmm. those characters the way I love it. So I'm not going to say it's Hell, bad. There are a lot of people who tear into me because I gave a positive review to the G.I. Joe movie. But well, that was what I wanted in a G.I. Joe movie. I liked the G.I. Joe movie. I, can't, yeah. I didn't love it, but yeah. I liked it a lot. And I drag it out every once yeah. in a while. I say, yeah. And as much as I dislike Stephen Summers as a director, and I, I don't like him very much, mm -hmm. 
He knows what people want yeah. when they go to a movie like this. Mm-hmm. He knew what to put in, and yeah, there's a lot of bullshit that really doesn't scan well with the cartoon. No. But he knew that people wanted to hear somebody go, yo, Joe. Right. He knew that somebody had to say, knowing is half the battle. And he knew he had to sell the Baroness. And as an origin story, at the end when he tied everything together and yeah. the guy became Cobra Commander and Destro got the man, he mm-hmm. tied it all in. I said, that's good. I can mm-hmm. go with that. Yeah, and but- we also wanted to see those shots, and that's what Steven Summers excels at, which is those big CGI shots start out as a close-up and then pull away yeah. to the big, massive shots of all that G.I. Joe tech coming at you. Yeah, and the underwater battle. Yeah, under- yeah I mean, that's the stuff you want to see. The Transformers were just product. I don't hate them, I don't dislike them, but I don't like them either. I recommend them for the people who like that sort of thing, but me, as far as I'm concerned, they're just there. It's like Adam Carolla says sometimes about Mm. certain things. He says, if you're a food critic and you don't like Thai food and you go to review a Thai restaurant... Would it kill you to say, I don't like Thai food, so I didn't like this, but if you like Thai food, you might like this. Yeah. Certain movies don't even emotionally move me enough to dislike it. Yeah. Said the best. It was just there. Yeah, and then for Michael Bay as a director, me and Tom have said, and we made an agreement, that we're going to try to steer clear of directors that we know is just going to be a bash fest well, we for an hour, because that's not what this is about. The main reason we do director's courts is to discuss a director in a critical way. Right. Not to say, he sucks, he sucks, he sucks. Yeah. Once we sign off on this episode, we're going to be joined by Joel Mangrum, and we're going to record an episode where we do a director's corner on Zack Snyder. Zack Snyder. Now, I know a lot of guys, there's a lot of backlash against Snyder, but we think he's an interesting enough director, and part of the reason we're going to discuss him is because of this sudden backlash. Yeah. And we're going to discuss him as intelligent people. Doing Michael Bay, just because you want to hear us say, oh, he sucks, he sucks, he sucks... That doesn't help us any. That doesn't entertain us. But if it will make you feel better, okay, Tom, one, two, three. He, he sucks, sucks, he sucks, sucks he sucks. sucks. And okay. to be fair, The Rock was pretty cool. Yeah, to be fair. I mean, he, he had Sean Connery. Yes. Well, it had Sean Connery. And it was a good film. It was. It was, a, it, was, it was a dumb early 90s action movie, but it was a good dumb movie. Much as I dislike Michael Bay, even if I'm channel surfing and it comes on TNT or right. something like that, I'll stop and I'll watch it. You should say this about music. Mm-hmm. Every band has one good song. Yeah. Them. Now, granted, sometimes that one good song comes out the first thing out of the back, and that's why you get one-hit wonders. The same thing goes for directors. Mm-hmm. Every director has one good film. One good film. Yeah, everybody's got one film. Even one of our favorite directors that we like to knock over the head every yeah. once in a while, your good friend Bo. Oh, Yui Bo. Yui yeah. Bo. You were telling me you saw that film with Tunnel, Tunnel Rat. Rats. Tunnel Rats. Now, for those of you who hate Uwe Bowler say he can't direct the Save His Life. Please go get Turner Rat. When I saw it, I said, now why can't he do this all the yeah. time? And to be fair, I don't hate Uwe Bowl. The one thing that I always take away from when I see interviews with him, mm-hmm. and I've told you, one of my favorite DVD extras was something that was on the Blood Rain DVD right. when it first came out. It was an hour-long featurette. Mm-hmm. Where it was him and a reporter sitting down at a, a nice restaurant and having a meal mm-hmm. and just having a conversation about movie making. Right. And he comes off really, really charming and really informative about what it's like to have to go through financing. Right. Especially in Germany where he's yeah. based. Mm-hmm. 
And I don't hate him. And there are sometimes even I, I see like little like nuggets, even like the yeah. crappy films, mm-hmm. where at least I see that enthusiasm he has for movie making coming I, out. I even saw what was that movie he made oh, about the video game? Far Cry. Yeah, that wasn't half bad. Mm-hmm. I watched it one night going yeah. to Netflix looking for someone. Oh, that was a video game, wasn't it? Yeah. I watched that. This ain't half bad. Well, okay, even House of the Dead, which is pretty dreadful. That moment where he just starts using that bullet time machine over and over again, but everything cracks me. The the fuck up for every character and there's yeah. eight characters yeah. and everybody gets their own 360 bullet time shot yeah that cracks me up because I love the enthusiasm which is hey look what somebody allowed me to use for the day yeah said, well what the hell I got another 15 minutes yeah. to fill up anyway to fill out the running time in the movie right. what the hell this is like we said before no human being whether he's Michael Bay or mm-hmm. Brett Ratner or Yui Bowl or Ed Wood ever wakes up and says, I'm going to make the worst fucking movie in the world. That's true. Nobody does. Nobody. Sometimes it's a case of outside interference. Sometimes it's just a case of misunderstanding what the audience wants. Sometimes it's budget problems. When people sit up and say, I'm going to make an intentionally bad movie, more often than not, the movie comes out bad in the wrong way. Yeah. Even the infamous Ed Wood. Nobody sets out to make a bad movie. And I've seen interviews with Michael Bay, and Michael Bay comes across to me as a guy who's really sincere and really enthusiastic about he what he does. He to use another person from his class, McGee. I'm sure that in real life, the cameras aren't around. He's probably a decent human being. Mm-hmm. But when he's in front of a camera, he tends to come off as an egotistical prick. Okay. But I, once again, I don't think even he says, I'm going to make a bad movie. No. I don't think nobody does. And Michael Bay is just a guy. I mean, hell, look, even Brett Ratner, even he made a movie I like. I saw Tower Heist. Tower Heist was damn good. I haven't seen that yet. I, Tower I've been Heist, wanting to. If nothing else, he brought back the real Eddie Murphy, and for that, I gotta and give him his props. thank you, Eddie Murphy, for deciding he's not do. You know that now. He's pretty much said publicly, I'm done with the family movies. Look, Tower yeah. Heist was such a big hit. Thank you. He's not in a fat suit. Yeah. He's not doing eight characters. He's Eddie Murphy. And that's mm-hmm. it. It's Eddie Murphy. Although movie. I'm very nervous about this thing that he's trying to get off the ground, which is the Beverly Hill Cop TV series. I heard him and Brett Ratner were going to do Beverly Hills Cop 4. Because they yeah. like working together so yeah. much that they said they were going to do Beverly Hills Cop 4. The last thing I heard is that they gave up on that because they couldn't get a script together. Oh, okay. But their next idea is they're going to try to sell somebody on the idea of a Beverly Hills Cop TV show. Mm-hmm. It'll focus on Axel's son, who is a detective. And I'd love to know how they explain this one. Axel is the chief of police. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> You should have seen this, folks. There was a thumb look on Derek's face. And then slowly he started laughing. What? Yes. Oh, my God. That is what Murphy has said. This was recent has of the end of October. I really can't believe that they couldn't get financing to do a Beverly Hills Cop 4, especially... Oh, they could get the financing. They just couldn't get a script together. Well, hell, call me. I'll get you a script in a week. We're the ones who came up with what should have been the next Die Hard film, not It's a Good Day to Die... Yeah, we came... Well, now we know what it's called. What? It's a Good Day to Die Hard. Ooh. Well, you know what Eddie Murphy should have did? He should have tried to get himself a role in the new Expendables. That would have been cool. Yeah, because you know what happened. 
after Chuck Norris and Van mm-hmm. Damme, they turned down Stallone flat. Yeah. The first one, they called him up and said, oh, well, can we be in the yes. next one? So they're mm-hmm. in this one now. Van Damme is playing the bad guy. We'll see. Maybe they can get Steven Seagal for the third one. I'm still yeah. hoping they'll get him in there somewhere. <laughs> and me, you know me, Brett Ratner. The only other movie Brett Ratner made that I liked was the heist movie he made with Pierce Brosnan and Salma right. Hayek. That was after the sunset. Right. But this one, Tower Heights, yeah, this one I really liked because to me, this didn't feel like product. Right. Like the Rush Hour movies. This felt like a movie. He liked the characters. He right. liked the story and he put his and heart and soul like, in it. That's a crazy ass cast. Uh, you know who was hilarious? Who? I'm going to tell you who the funniest cat in the movie was. Okay, who? Casey Affleck. That really? guy had me on my ass every time he showed up. I have to say, it's rather shocking to me because this is the first time I've seen Ben Stiller with gray hair. Yeah, I kind of had the same feeling when I saw Will Smith and I Am Legend with gray hair. And yeah. I said, oh my God, uh, Will yeah, Smith has like, got gray hair. Yeah, Ben Stiller's got gray hair in this movie. He's good, Eddie Murphy's good, everybody's good. But Casey Affleck mm-hmm. is the funniest cat in the movie, next to Eddie Murphy. And, and I've been telling people this for years. Yes, he's the better actor than his brother, Ben. And he proves it in this one. He is hilarious in everything he does. So Tower Heights. Okay. If you haven't seen it already, folks, go see it. Okay. So, so we're through we with the mail? We're through with the mail. There's only the one. So let's wrap this up. And you can do the outro. Okay. Whether you love us, whether you hate us, whether you want to say that you're willing to pay $6 for 3D glasses. Hell because they look super cool after, you, after you're finished watching the movie. But you can't use them as sunglasses. There are a number of ways you can reach us. You can send us an email like our friend Jason did at Better in the Dark at earth-2.net. You can join our message board at betterinthedark.proboards.com or join the Facebook page. Just go to Facebook, type in Better in the Dark and join our little crew. Derek and I have Facebook pages of our own where you can follow our non-Better in the Dark adventures. Mm -hmm. And we also have a variety of blogs. Tom has Damn Your Ears, Damn Your Eyes, 10 statements about where he goes see a movie and he gives you 10 statements that encapsulate the movie with, I think, in an absolutely perfect manner with his usual wit, charm, and intelligence. And Derek, of course, you can go on to, to the Ferguson Theater, mm-hmm. where Derek posts reviews of his movie going in the typical Derek Ferguson acerbic way. Oh, I did. Oh, I get acerbic. Acerbic, hey. You've oh. been reading. <laughs> I is book smart. <laughs> I is a college graduate. <laughs> <laughs> of course, we also invite you to check out Pulped, which Derek is one of the rotating co-hosts of. Mm-hmm, and in fact, you have some news about that, don't you? About it being picked up for an internet radio syndication? Oh, yeah. Tommy Hancock, who mm-hmm. of course is the genius behind Pulp, he uh, made a deal with TVM Cafe. And Pulp is going to be, well, I have more information about that, but it looks like it's going to be a live radio oh, show okay. now. We're going to be doing it live. Cool. Apparently, so it's not going to be recorded anymore. Everything you hear is Although going to be. you'll still be able to after the live broadcast. After the live after broadcast, you right. Download it as a podcast. You'll be able to download it as a podcast. But it looks it's like. Similar to what Adam Carolla does. But it looks yeah. like now we're going to be doing it live at 8 o'clock on Monday cool. evenings, and then after that, it'll be, of course, more so, information. Uh, if you go mm-hmm. to my Facebook page, I will have more information about it. I'm going to put it right okay. after we finish the session. I'll put it up okay. there with links and on the Better in the Dark Facebook yeah. page links so you guys can get the full skinny yes. on that. Sorry, Ben and, Folds. Derek is going to have to watch the last two episodes of The Sing-Off on DVR. Yeah, uh, yeah, I know. That's one of the few shows I watch when it airs. I love that show. I love that show. You know how much I love 
the collegiate acapella tradition. Right. And it's the only time you get to see acapella, collegiate or otherwise, mm-hmm. on television. But the thing that is doubly wonderful about that show is that unlike some of the knuckleheads we get as judges in some of the other singing competitions, I defy you to explain to me what the hell Nicole Schwenzig or whatever her name is. Oh, you're too hard on the poor girl. I think she's okay. I, mean, I thought Cheryl, the Scottish girl, was actually pretty interesting. Right, she was. She's not as knowledgeable as Ben Foles, but then again, who is? Yeah. yeah or Sean Stockton. Or Sean, yeah. I mean, who is? Because these are guys that know acapella right. in and out. But she does the best she can. She oh, you're thinking, you're thinking of Sarah Bareilles. Who? Uh, who? The, the the female member of the singer. Who's the girl yeah. that's on there now? Schwarzen- Sarah Bareilles. Sarah Bareilles. No, but Nicole Schwarzen- Schwarzenberger, whatever her name is, on The X Factor. It's okay, I'm getting them mixed up. Yeah, but the girl who's on... Uh, Bareilles is good. I don't think she has the breadth of... The thing that I love about it is that Ben Fultz and Sean Stockman know what the hell they're talking about. Well, this is what I'm saying. Yeah. They know acapella inside yeah. and out. But I think Bareilles has a background in acapella because she came up through collegiate acapella. Matter of fact, one of the guys that's competing, yeah. she went to college exactly. with him and they won the same acapella. Exactly. A group in college. I think that she's a step up. Nicole, before she went to the mm-hmm. X Factor, was the female judge on the sing-off for the first two seasons. Mm-hmm. Sarah Burrells is definitely a step up. And that's what I love about this show, because unlike you, I really didn't know that much about acapella mm-hmm. from that. But watching the show, it's not only been entertaining for me, right. but also it's educating me about what to listen for. I would pay, and you and I you talked know. about this, to see an American version of the old BBC show later with... Ben Folds and Sean Stockman interviewing various musicians and then doing jams with them. Yeah. For an hour. Because, first off, those guys got a great give and take. Yeah. They know what they're talking about. And, in fact, we've talked about Adam Carolla a couple of times in this episode. Ben Folds is an occasional guest on the Carolla show. Mm -hmm. And usually he'll bring his keyboard with Mm -hmm. him. The most fascinating parts about those episodes is when Carolla will talk about a particular pop song he doesn't care for, and Folds will, using the keyboard, dissect the song and explain why it appeals to so many people. Right. And listening to him break down, like, Abracadabra by Steve Miller, and explain exactly why it works, Mm -hmm. is fascinating. Well, that's what I like about the singer, because him and Sean explain to the people, and by explaining to them, explain to us... Why acapella works and why it doesn't work and why this performance works and what to listen for. Yeah. More important. See, now I know what to listen for yeah. when I'm listening to acapella, which I didn't before. I just said, okay, well, I like it, but I didn't know why. Now I know why I like it. I think you and I agree who's going to be the winner mm-hmm. on this season. Who's that? Pentaton. Oh, Pentaton. Yeah, yeah. Who I didn't care for when I first saw them, but in the last... They grow on you. They do, yeah. Yeah. I, at first, I just thought it was, oh, it's just because I think the girl is kind of hot. Well... With that weird, twisted half smile she does all the time. Well, that's usually how it starts. <laughs> but the thing is, is that the last couple of weeks when they've been doing stuff that's been outside of their range. Outside their company. When they had to yeah. do Born to be Wild by Steppenwolf, and they right. had to do Video Killed the Radio Star, and I began to see how they break down a song mm-hmm. in the way that they approach these challenges, mm-hmm. I began to appreciate them more and more. Right. Hopefully this is not going to be the last season. I hope not either, because I really, really enjoy that show. And before we wrap this up, by the time you have heard it, it will have already passed. But both Thanks. Tom and I want to wish you and yours and your family the very happy Thanksgiving. Happy. And I hope if you're a turkey, you escape the axe. You had a lot of turkey, you had a lot of stuff, and you had a lot of good mm-hmm. stuff. I know I am going to. You should also remind people to go to PulpWorksPress.com. Yep, PulpWorksPress.com. Where the two volumes of How the West Was Weird are available. Yep. There's a new Dylan book coming soon, right? Well, there's one out now. There's four books. Four books of Dylan. Dylan. Oh, one, one thing. Thank you for reminding me that I want to plug real yeah. quick. 
because we got to get out of here because what's the name is going to run soon. For your Kindle and for your Nook, the Dylan books are all available now as ebooks as well. If you go to Smashwords, yeah. you can get Dylan and the Voice of Odin as an ebook for free. Woohoo! For free. If you like the Flint movies or Doc Savage or that kind of like globe trotting, tongue in cheek adventure. This is the book for you. Especially now with the Amazon Fire yeah. coming out, everybody's Well, that one's like, what? That's like under $100, right? Yeah, yeah. Amazon Fire. So now, hopefully, we're working on making all the Pulpwork Press titles available mm-hmm. as ebooks for folks. So keep going to pulpworkpress.com for information on that. You can also go to the Dylan blog for more right. information. I also have another blog, Blood and Ink, where I cover all my other characters, non-Dylan related. So you can go there for that. Are we finished plugging now? Two things we should plug. The Better in the Dark Central site. Yeah, absolutely. Run, Run by, by our good friend Kelly Loge. <laughs> Literally anything you need to know about Better in the Dark is there, thanks to Kelly's wizardry. Yeah, absolutely, and we cannot thank him enough, and we always make sure to thank him, thank him, thank him, yes. because he is just as important a member of the Better in the Dark team as is our musical director, Kellen Conley. Uh, Kellen Conley. And, of course, our idol, who we shall now give a moment of silence to, the beautiful one. Okay. <laughs> and lastly, we do want to mention org. Yeah. Because the first part of Infected should be coming out fairly soon. Right. Over there, Tom and I write fan fiction series. He writes Avengers mm-hmm. West Coast. And I write Avengers. And we're having a lot of fun yes. doing that. So if you like it and if you hate what Marvel is doing <laughs> to the Avengers and you want to And if you something. hate what DC is doing, you, we can recommend going to DC Omega where they're trying to do their own reboot. Yeah, you see Omega did. And I have committed to doing something for Gavin. Okay. And I know people all the time, they knock fan fiction. But fan fiction is fun. Right. And especially now, today, where we got all of this crap that's going on. The economy is going in the, in the toilet. People are occupying all over the place. Everything is going bad. We all need a little fun every once right. in a while. And what's wrong with fun? Right. Okay. So I guess that is it. That's it for this episode. So, this has been Derek Ferguson. And this has been Thomas DJ. And until next time, when you're going to be able to purchase a triple pack with the DVD and the Blu-ray and a digital version and a lollipop. And 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 a pop-up book. Go Go see see that that movie. movie. Good night. Good night. God bless. In a world full of sin, one man will make the ultimate sacrifice. In one heart-stopping moment, 3,000 years of prophecy will be fulfilled. This summer, nothing can prepare you for the greatest story ever told. Witness the resurrection of the... You've been listening to Better in the Dark, featuring Thomas E. Jane Derek Ferguson. Special thanks go out to Mike and Paul of Chinstroker vs. Punter, Andy and Dan of Hollywood Saloon, Adam Carolla of The Adam Carolla Show, uh, hi, Allison. Eric Frome and the members of the Better in the Dark message board at betterinthedark.proboards.com. Better in the Dark has EMTs waiting on call to help you deal with the shock of hearing us defend Michael Bay and Huey Bowl. Send all comments, praise, hate mail, love letters, and pipe bombs to Better in the Dark at Earth2.net. That's Better in the Dark at Earth-2.net. Please vote for us on Podcast Alley, and why not leave a review of us on iTunes? Hey, 
Maybe you can even visit the Better in the Dark Central site at www.betterinthedarksite.com. And don't forget to check out all the amazing music available at www.b-dot.com. Better in the Dark is a Conspiracy Productions presentation in association with the Earth2.net community of podcasts. All material copyright, Thomas and Jan Derek Ferguson. Until next time, remember that you can charge extra for your service, too, if you include a pair of disposable plastic glasses. Did you get a group of a girl? Ah!